Hello and welcome to another episode of the CBO Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Donna Sheely. So glad that you're with us today. Today, we're speaking with Jean Vock. She is the Senior Vice President for Business Affairs and Chief Financial Officer at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Welcome, Jean. Thank you. Glad to be here. So glad to have you with us. Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about UNLV. Tell us about the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Of course, uh, UNLV is one of the younger full state universities. It was not established until 1957 and became a university in 1969. It serves an incredibly uh, quickly growing area in the, in Nevada, the Las Vegas area, which has grown tremendously since, uh, since its inception. It started out actually with, uh, what it, one of its early nicknames was Tumbleweed Tech because of <laughs> wow. Yeah. But now, um, since 2018, UNLV has become uh, a university and it serves over 30,000 students. It's a, achieved R1 status from the Carnegie Institute and, and it's just an incredibly fast growing institution. We serve a really unique area of the, of the United States and we have a really unique student population. Uh, about almost 40% of our students are first generation and over 40% are Pell eligible. So we're definitely about access, but at the same time, we're about creating, being an innovative university that is meeting the needs of our community, our students and beyond. What do you think is some of the reason of your growth, so much growth so quickly? Well, a big part of it is simply the growth of the, uh, the Las Vegas area. It's somewhere close to 3 million now. And so part of it is just due to population. Over 80% of our students are local uh, to the state of Nevada, and many of them stay here. So we're definitely serving the needs of the community. The projections for the Las Vegas area are continued growth. So I think there's a lot of excitement ahead for, for this university and for this community. It's sports mecca. It's uh growing so much in the tech industry, and there's much more on the agenda for this community. For sure, for sure. Being so close to the Las Vegas Strip, how do you all use that to your advantage? You know, that's interesting because a lot of times people think of Las Vegas, they think of the Strip. Yeah. And to be honest, you know, before I came and started uh, exploring, having exploratory conversations with UNLV, it was, I couldn't get my, wrap my head around it because, you know, I don't been here for primarily for conferences, but the occasional fun weekend as well. But what I, what I've learned is that UNLV is an international leader in gaming and hospitality. So that's definitely an advantage for, for the university. As the students in our hospitality and gaming programs spend countless hours in the industry and they have access to such an incredible rich environment of the industry to allow them the growth that they need. So that's one of the most fascinating things. But we're also very involved with the community in, in so many other aspects as well. We're a growing sports uh, center and we have sports innovation initiatives. We have um, uh, partnerships with so many of our sports teams, or the, the, uh, the national sports teams. And we have um, an, an incredible rich amount of diversity in our community. It's incredible. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, how long have you been at UNLV? Um, I've been here for over six years now. 
but I've been in higher ed for well over 30. I spent uh, much of my, the first part of my career with another university, the University of Arizona. Okay. Well, talk to us about your journey in higher ed and how you ended up being um, in a CBO as a chief financial officer. As with so many of my colleagues, I didn't start out with the intention of making a career in higher education. I left the Midwest with an accounting degree in my pocket and a desire to obtain my certified public accounting CPA certificate. I started in auditing, as many of our uh, early accountants do. But shortly after that, one of my early uh, assignments included a special project that was to document and provide a guide for a uniform system of accounting and reporting for community colleges in Arizona. As part of that project, I visited every community college in the state, and I saw the inner workings, the behind the scenes of higher education. I saw the higher ed experience through a new lens. Uh, a few years after that, a position opened up at the University of Arizona. It was a leadership role related to the implementation of, of a new enterprise financial system. I was excited about that. I saw an opportunity to translate what I learned from my audit, internal control, policy, and process experience into action and being much more active in it rather than sitting on the sidelines. That implementation was very successful, and I continued to build strong connections with our information technology teams and with units across campus, bringing everything together. Over the years, um, I was also involved in the launches of our analytics efforts and as I grew into various leadership roles at, at the institution. I was ready for new opportunities and challenges, but with higher ed, you know, relocation is typically one of the ways that you would go. My husband and I decided that we wanted to continue to raise our family, stay in place while we raised our family. So relocation really was not an option. So about midway through my time in higher ed, I decided to leave my university role for a consulting role. It was during that time I realized how much I'd be missed being connected with the higher ed mission. You know, the missions of teaching, research, community service, engagement. And I just realized that this was my home. So I came back. I continued to serve in central administration, but I took the opportunity to serve as a college financial officer in two different colleges, nursing and business. Those years were really transformational for me because it truly expanded my understanding of the university's mission and operations in a way you couldn't catch, understand from the central administrative role. I became much more empathetic and connected. It's really rare for institutional CFOs to have the experience of operating at the college level. And I realized that having learned what I'd learned, I wanted to return to a central administrative role with a commitment to really build stronger relationships and partnerships between the office of the CFO and the campus stakeholders. I felt like there's so many missed opportunities and that I felt like I might be able to make a difference. So when I stepped into the role of CFO at UNLV, my goal was truly to transform the perception of the central office from the office of no to the office of how. Mm, I like that. <laughs> While this was challenging, uh, the culture was really deeply ingrained. Uh, we have dramatically transformed and improved our relationship with and our service to our campus. And that has been tr really rewarding for me. 
So I went through, like I said, multiple roles uh, at one institution. And then at this institution, I stepped right into the chief business officer role and have had the opportunity to really uh, facilitate some dramatic change, which has helped us through some very interesting times. Most definitely. Most definitely. So let's put some time frames on it just for a little bit. Um, so for the, when you were at the college level, how long were you there before you transitioned to the uh, university level? Well, I started out, my first half of my career was entirely at central administrative. I left the controller's office as the assistant controller. And then I spent a few, uh, several years each at both nursing and business. And then I, back into central administration. So it more than half my career, probably two thirds of my career in central administration. There's the before and the after. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think that is so good. I think you're one of the first people I've heard to say that they had that experience first before they went to the central administration. I think I'm sure that really opened your eyes. Like you said, instead of just being the office of no <laughs> to the <laughs> office of how I love that. That's really good. So talk to me a little bit about your philosophy now that you're in uh, the central administration and, and, and being in this office. My philosophy is that the only mission, the central administrative office, the office of business affairs, our only goal, mission is to help the university achieve its top tier initiative. And we can say a whole lot of other things, but that's the only reason that we exist. And because of that, we really have to shift the philosophy from one of just really the, the, the pure stewardship and protection of assets to the service role. So when I arrived, my, the, the division was really focused on, you know, our primary role is to protect the university from everyone who's trying to make mistakes. <laughs> and I said, well, let, let's kind of re, reframe that. Let's talk about what we need to do is if the university is going to accomplish its goals, then every area across campus has to accomplish its part uh, in reaching those goals. So our first focus has to be on providing service. So I said, we have to lead with service. And of course, we do that within the framework of stewardship. But if we start out in an intake conversation saying, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that there's all these rules and all these regulations, you're probably not going to be able to get that done. That is not as productive as if we start out by saying, help me understand what you're trying to accomplish and why. And because I'm an expert in all of these areas of rules and regulations, we can help you navigate those rules and regs to accomplish what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. That's a great, great, great philosophy. Yes, a stewardship and service and how can we help you? That's definitely a great lens. So talk to me about everything that you oversee. What all falls under your purview there at uh, UNLV? My my portfolio includes the financial services and controller functions, all of the accounting services and so forth. It includes procurement. It includes the um, financial planning, budget and analysis. It includes planning, construction, real estate, facilities management, risk management, parking, delivery services. And uh, I know uh, there's a few more things there as well, surplus. So we we do a, a wide array of services on behalf of the campus. And at UNLV, where do you find most of your time being spent? 
with all of that. I know, of course, you, of course, you, you, you look at everything, but I know there's probably sometimes, especially, and, my, and it might be at different times of the year, but I guess at this time as you're starting off, where do you see you spending most of your time? You know, I do spend a lot of time in meetings. And of course, meeting sometimes has a negative connotation. I see that I see us spending time in really making sure that everything's in alignment, that we're dealing with critical issues, that we're consistently evaluating how we're um, using our resources and making adjustments so that we can most strategically align the resources that we have. We are one of the lowest funded institutions looking at the SHEO data there, they look at the total funding per FTE and that is right there at the bottom. So we have to be very strategic and very careful about our limited resources. So I see that most of my time is spent in making sure that we are uh, addressing issues and aligning resources. I also spend a lot of time because we are part of a system and uh, that working with my colleagues across the system, our central system office, our other institutions, as a state institution, we just completed a legislative session, which consumed a lot of our time in preparing for that and trying to be as, uh, as effective as possible. Again, all in service of managing our, our limited resources to the best return on our investment. Maybe not so much meetings, but connections, I guess you could say, connecting at this time. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, Jane, you've been doing this for quite some time, and I know it's not a field where you were seeing more women now, which is great, but I'm sure when you started, you were one of few, right? Talk to me a little bit about that and how you navigated through that to where you are now. You know, that, that is interesting. I mean, when I, I started in, well, let's see, I'm going to age myself here. <laughs> I've been in business for over 30 years and I did take some time where I worked part time when my children were very young because my husband was traveling a lot. And we had to figure out how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. I think that, that was really challenging because I think there was still the, the talk at the time about is she on the mommy track or is she, uh, you know, committed professional. So I think that that's, I struggled with that a little bit, but I've always then kind of stepped back and said, you know what, I'm, I'm truly invested in my profession as well as my family. And so I continued with my, uh, my roadmap where my journey of continuing professional development, growing where I had the opportunity and where I had a passion and it put it all together. And then um, over time, you know, the the right doors opened for me and I was able to um, to proceed to this seat. And I've been really pleased to have this opportunity because it's been a really pivotal time in UNLV's history. And I feel I, I feel proud to have been a part of these changes. Did you have any key mentors that were with you during your journey as you lead yourself or, or were led to UNLV? I have had so many mentors and guides along my journey, and many of those I've met through my professional associations of Wakubo and Nakubo, as well as a few others. It's been really rewarding to have learned from so many. There's, you know, the thought leaders that present at, at, at our conferences. There are the colleagues that I've bonded with over the years. I have so many people that I can call. And I served on the board of Wakubo for about 10 years and Nakubo for three years. And that gave me even further exposure. I uh, learned from those that were 
the leaders at the time, and I eventually became president of Wakubo and served three years on the Nakubo board. That got me more connected um, and more to, to all of the resources that were available. And I certainly encourage uh, all of our higher ed colleagues to consider being much more actively involved in their both their regional associations and Nakubo. I think it's very much uh, provides enrichment and Another piece of this, I think, is that I've spent a lot of time in my personal uh, professional development is cultivating self-awareness and understanding of how my team and my how everyone brings a different lens. And it's helped me become much less judgmental and more curious. I'm quoting, um, it was recently brought up on a Ted Lasso episode, and Ted Lasso is one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite shows but it, it, there's a there's a scene in there where it culminates with the statement of be curious not judgmental so often we are way too quick to judgment and that phrase really uh, represents what i'm trying to accomplish is being much more focused on listening and understanding because that is definitely a way to move things forward and to build relationships. If people feel like they've been heard and understood, they'll be much more involved in being uh, partners with you versus adversaries. What, what I've learned is that the most effective and productive environments are those that have a strong, positive organizational culture. And that can only be built through a foundation of trust strong relationships, respect, acknowledgement. And what I've learned is the skills for building trust, creating alignment, and creating the space for productive conflict. Too often we jump right into conflict that is not productive, and then that deteriorates the relationships and reduces trust. When I think about my time in central administration versus the college administration, there's really too much, there's so much of this us versus them um, mindset. And when that happened, it really was uh, a lack of trust between the parties. And there was, it created a lot of frustration and it made things really less effective and less productive. So I've really tried to foster that. I, I meet with every dean when they start, with every new vice president, with the chair of our faculty senate. And I explain my philosophy of creating the office of how, creating strong partnerships. Not that we don't have the need to focus on all of the, the requirements. I, what I explain is that, you know, it's, these are the rules of engagement. When we accept funds from the taxpayers through the federal government or our state government, when we accept funds from our students and their families, and when we accept funds from donors, we have a responsibility to ensure that we're managing those responsibly. And those come with the rules of engagement. Hey, if you're playing any sports, you know the rules of engagement, you know where the boundaries are, you know what the time limits are, and you know what you need to do. It's the same in some ways with any funds that we accept. And so we need to have an understanding not to badmouth the word compliance, but to actually say, hey, we, we're privileged to have these resources, and therefore we need to be very responsible in how we manage those. Along those lines, I've revamped what used to be more of a, a reactive campus audit function into much more proactive compliance partnership function. What we want to do is work with our team strategically. 
I've also tried to change the narrative on certain framings because when you change the narrative, you can lead to changes in mindset and changes in mindset lead, lead to changes in behavior. So an example of the us versus them, my narrative, that creates barriers. But if you say, hey, we're all in this together, serving the needs of our students and our faculty and our community, then we can really foster more of a partnership mindset and partnership behaviors. When I hear people refer to how siloed things are, I say, well, part of that is how we're framing it. If we frame this instead as we are organized in centers of expertise, then we can say to accomplish something complex, we need to bring in partners from all of our centers of expertise. And that's how we can put things together to accomplish things. If you say, hey, I'm going to be working with my partners in centers of expertise, it's a very different mindset than if I say, I have to deal with these silos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like the reframe. I like how you reframe a lot of the traditional ways that people see your role and how you're opening up communication and really changing that that entire overview and and framework of it. I think that's excellent. So can you talk to me, Jane, about what you think the future of higher ed is is looking like? And and then talk about your future as well. Sure. Oh, well, certainly I believe that higher education is going to look much different over the next few decades. We've been hearing uh, what's going on with all the demographic trends, societal trends, the social, the geo, the political trends, there's a lot going on. And students have different options these days and employers have different demands these days. And so the traditional model very much needs to evolve. So we have so many opportunities to improve the learning environment and improve student outcomes through new technologies, different initiatives. The cost to invest and sustain these is just really becoming unreasonably expensive under the current model. So the costs are being questioned by students, their families, our elected officials. It's past time for higher education to start evolving at a much faster pace. We heard a lot of this during the pandemic, but we've really only made incremental change. So there's much more that we need to do. We hear it at, at the conferences, but I think we're moving too slowly. We use that word pivot and we heard it a lot during the pandemic because it taught us all that, hey, we need to pivot and we need to pivot quickly. So I hear what you're saying about, you know, we, we got to kind of keep that same momentum of being prepared to make those changes quickly. Yeah, we did a good job of pivoting and respond. I think most institutions did fairly well with that. So the thing, we can do it, but a sense of urgency has slowed down. And so it, it, when there's not as strong a sense of urgency, it's easier to settle back into old patterns. So we need to really start thinking about being a much more proactive. I think one of the things that I, I see in higher ed is that we all have bandwidth issues. To take time to invest in moving forward means taking away time from the day-to-day that you have to do. We have to complete our our reporting and our services. And if in our case, we have to report not only to um, our, our financial statements, but also we have to work with the system and the legislature. So our bandwidth is stretched then. So 
we don't have as much time and capacity to focus the innovation and the change. So what would be, I can hear someone asking, so what? what is the solution? Because you're right, the bandwidth is an issue and we do have all these other things we have to take care of. So how do we make that switch or to go, you know, into the path of broadening our scope? It's, uh, there's not an easy answer <laughs> to that. And there's not one right answer. But I do think that it needs to be very intentional. It needs to be, leadership to say, we are going to spend a certain amount of time. Many of us have heard the saying that if it's important, show me where it is in the budget. And so we might give lip service. We're going to do an innovation initiative or this type of initiative. But when somebody leaves, you say, well, I'm going to have to reassign you back to your day-to-day job. (laughs) So I think it's 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 difficult, but I think we have many leaders in um, the, our many of our presidents. We have a great president who's very forward thinking, and he's trying to continue to advance the university, exploring all these new initiatives um, of chief business officers across um, the whole entire industry are spending a lot of time on this. But we're also shortchanging it a little bit because of the bandwidth uh, and capacity issue. So. I, more intentionality is what's needed. And Jane, where do you see yourself in the next few years? Well, that's interesting because um, in the past year, I made a decision to exit the CFO role at UNLV um, by the end of this calendar year. It's really been truly rewarding to have played a, a, a role in such a pivotal time in UNLV's history. We've gone through an incredible amount, but I really believe it's time to start a new chapter. There's so many areas I'm passionate about, and among them are being more intentional about how we de- define our future, the strategy component. Uh, and so with the demands of the CB- CFO, CBO position, I just don't have the bandwidth to invest as much of my time to research, consulting, coaching, mentoring, and other professional growth and strategy efforts as I would like. I learned so much along my journey, and I want to make sure that I can dedicate more of my time to those pursuits. And I just don't see that happening with the the demands of the day-to-day job. So my current challenge is to set an uh, example by providing a really effective transition at the CFO level here. Higher education generally does not do transition succession planning especially well. We lose so much during these transitions. The uncertainty and disruption of poorly executed transitions does affect organizational productivity and slows progress. Our colleagues are familiar with the level of challenges we've had with attracting and retaining talent. So... This just continues to foster the bandwidth challenge. And because I want to move into a new chapter, but I don't have a really firm timeline, I was able to provide a long lead time, which would allow for a comprehensive search for my replacement. And my replacement was just recently named. So I'm in the process of onboarding my successor. He'll start in November and I'll stay for a few more months to serve as a resource. You know, there, there's so much material out there about succession planning. I'm hoping that one of my next chapter efforts is to document my experience with an effective and successful leadership transition and hopefully help other organizations 
do that more effectively so we don't have so much loss in productivity and so much disruption. Well, we definitely still need you in there helping us out as, you know, we continue to move along in higher ed in these next few years. So we definitely appreciate you still participating and and giving us some um, of your thoughts and ideas. So do you have any final thoughts for us, Jean? We're launching an organizational effectiveness initiative at UNLV, as many institutions have. But it, it is, it's challenging to find the resources to to keep that moving. The challenges associated with just moving forward while keeping everything in play is something we're all going to struggle with. Yeah, we're all working towards the same goal, though. But yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for your time today. We really appreciate talking to you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all for joining us today for this episode of CBO Speaks. It's brought to you by the National Association of College and University Business Officers. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks wherever you get your podcasts and so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Gene Vock of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, we want to thank you for joining us on CBO Speaks. I'm Donnie Sheely. Be well. CBO Speaks is a production of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. Audio engineered by Andy Nelson and True Story FM. Music by Michael Bean. Post-production support by Janelle Dempsey. And I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Thank you for listening.